Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. Bible's out. I hope you brought your Bible. Nowadays, it's, you know, electronic devices and everything else. I just kind of stick with the paper. Anybody bring a paper Bible tonight? Yeah, I got it. You know, those paper Bibles are fabulous, especially when your battery's dead on your phone. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, this evening, I am going to be sharing with you some things. I'm going to give you a little background uh, about myself uh, when it comes to the right time for illustration of uh, some things. But tonight, I am going to be discussing with you kingdom standards. And uh, I, I kind of wanted to start it out because there's a particular administration in the United States that I've had a particular uh, interest in, I guess, and uh, a following, if you would say, and it really affected uh, the career that I got involved in early in, in Melanie and I's marriage. Uh, and you may have heard of it. It's the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Everybody, everybody familiar with that? You ever heard of it? A few hands. We, in the Midwest, we call it OSHA. All right, and I don't know where the, how, why we call it OSHA because it all, almost ought to be OSHA because occupational, it starts with an ah, not an O, right? But we call it OSHA, and OSHA is responsible for keeping the employment uh, workplace uh, a place of safety, a place of health, and they have what they call regulations. And one of the, the, the things that they have published, and it is massive, it is not just one volume, it is multiple volumes of what they call the CFR, which is the Code of Federal Regulations. And if you are an employer or you're someone that is employing people, it, it behooves you to be able to be familiar with a, little thing, a, little, a few little things in that code that they have uh, so that you can stay safe, your people can stay safe. All right, and, and it's designed for that. But one of the things that I found out that there is an institute, and it's called the American National Standards Institute, and they are the ones that uh, regulate the funniest things. For instance, one of, one of the things that I found out, and in Oklahoma I have a company uh, that manufactures OSHA-regulated safety signs. The Lord dealt with me early on, and he said, do you want to print a sign that, you know, maybe somebody will buy, or do you want to print a sign that the government makes you buy? And I found this out, that in business, uh, it, you know, the more you can sell of one thing is better than trying to sell one thing, you know, multiple times. All right? And so uh, I, I found out that, you know, how many of you all have seen a danger high voltage sign? You seen that? It has a red oval, right? And the word danger in there is in white. That's regulated by ANSI or the American Standards, National Standards uh, Institute. They tell you not only what the shape of oval needs to be, but they also tell you what uh, size the letter needs to be in there, what the stroke of the font needs to be, what the sign is supposed to look like. They had a change just a few years ago, which I loved it because everybody had to buy brand new signs. 
And so, you know, when, when I, was, I was meditating on the standards of the kingdom, that we do have a, a volume that we t- can take a look at, and I am going to go over some standards tonight that come from the Word of God that will impact your life. And if you listen to me and take a few notes, I think that I can help you if you're struggling in any of the areas of standards that I t- communicate tonight. Is that all right? I'm going to start with the very first one, the very first set of standards that we have. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 3 through 17. They're going to put it up on the board, and I'm going to go through these. And uh, I, want you, I want you to know that when God decided that he wanted a people to himself, cut covenant with Abraham, and then, uh, you know, the Lord told Abraham, he said, listen, your people are going to go down to Egypt, and they're going to be in bondage for 400 years, and then I'm going to bring them out by a very, very strong arm, and they are going to be my people. Well, he gets them out, and in the 20th chapter, he brings what is commonly called the Ten Commandments. Everybody familiar with that? Have you ever heard one of them, at least one of them? Right? Okay. Let's take a look. That first one is in verse 3. It says this, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So God, in the very beginning, is letting them know, I am God. And do you remember the, do you remember the account when Moses asked him, he said, Hey, uh, I'm going to go. You want me to go? And I, thought, I think it's funny, and pastors alluded to it so many times. Uh, when he has said that, you know, he goes up and has the burning bush experience, and he said, hey, they're going to ask me your name. What do I tell them? And he said, well, you're going to tell them I am. I am what? That's what have been my question. I am. I am what? He is. And he tells him, he said, that you'll have no other gods because I am God. You'll have no other gods before me. Verse 4, he said, You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. So he's telling them, not only are you not going to have, but a commandment that I'm giving you, here's another standard. The standard is you are not going to make any graven image. All right? And, And the word graven in the Hebrew is the word carved. You're not going to carve an image. You know what I found funny? Does anybody know how they print money? It's carved plates. Engraved plates. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Because Jesus said you can't serve God and money. All right? So he says in here, this is one of the rules. This is the top ten list. All right. Now, notice what he said. He said, uh, uh, and he, he tells him, you'll not make a graven image. He said, you'll not bow down yourself to them. You'll not serve them. For I am the Lord God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children and the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Another word for commandment is a standard. All right. But notice verse seven, he said, and you will not take the Lord thy God, the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Now, I've taught this for years. And any of you that have said in any of my classes, uh, when we talk about the fact that that in uh, Hebrews 11, verse six, it said, uh, it is impossible for it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him because he that comes to God must believe that he is. And I often ask the question, what is you? If I must believe you is, and I know most scholars do agree that he's talking, he's talking about you must believe that I exist. Okay, I, and I'll go for that, but the thing is, he's not writing to Hebrew unbelievers. He's writing to believers 
that were Hebrew. And he said in there, he tells them, he said, he, he, let, he lets them know, you must believe that it is, so it would behoove us, or, or it, that's, that's King James, behoove us, all right, to be able to find out all that we can about who God is. Well, here's interesting because the word that we need to understand when he says, you'll not take my name in vain. And a lot of people, they think that's about cussing. You know, and you hear people all the time, God blank this, God blank that, you know, and, and they're upset about something and you'll hear it. And, and I've been in situations in, in, uh, in the business arena and people just go off to cussing and stuff like that. And I just don't let it phase me. And they go, doesn't that bother you? They're taking the Lord's name in vain. I said, well, here's what you need to understand about that verse. It gives me an opportunity. I said, one, God's not his name. God is what he is. He's a species called God. All right? So we don't go around, you know, calling each other, hey, human. I see you going down the hall. Hey, human. Everybody's going to turn around. That's why we were given names. All right? So when I say Brandon, Brandon turns around. But he tells us, he said, you do not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Here's what you need to understand about the word vain. Uh, in the Greek and the Hebrew both, they had the same meaning. It means to render something empty, idle, non-productive. Now, I've got several other definitions. It says <clears throat> in here, empty, idle, fruitless, useless, powerless, lacking truth, and worthless. God said, you will not take my name and render it that way. Well, what is, it, what, what is his name that we need to be aware of? I'm going to give just a couple of them. Because God's name being Jehovah, he has given us also a few descriptions of what all Jehovah includes. And here's the first one. He said, you know, uh, uh, when we talk about uh, Jehovah, Jehovah what? Well, Jehovah, how about Jireh? All right. And in Jehovah Jireh, we find out that uh, when he was on the Mount Abraham, when he was on the Mount Moriah, getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. You remember that? And it says that just as he was about to lift the knife. He angel said, hold it. Stop. And he said he named that mountain Jehovah Jireh. And the definition of Jireh is the Lord that sees. But really, if you break it down, it is the Lord that sees to it and provides. What happened? Remember, as soon as, he, as, soon as the Lord, the angel told him, don't harm the boy. All of a sudden, they heard it. Meh. And they turned around and looked, and in the thicket, there was a ram for the sacrifice. So he's telling us, Now I think it's interesting because I've read after some scholars that uh, basically uh, talk about the fact that uh, Mount Moriah is also uh, in the regions of Calvary where Jesus was crucified. Now, I, I see God doing that, that, that good. He's that good that he can make that mountain, same mountain that Isaac was going to be sacrificed and the Isaac that Jesus was sacrificed on. All right. Now. As we, as we take a look, and, and uh, you know, what's another one? Let's, let's take a look. He said, I'm Jehovah Rapha, 
And, and that's found in um, uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. And he lets them know, listen, if you will hearken diligently into the voice of your Lord, your God, and observe to do all that is written therein, you don't turn to the right, to the left. He said, I will not allow any of these diseases that have come upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee, Jehovah Rapha. So he tells us in there as far as that name. Here's the problem. That people sometimes take his name in vain and they don't even realize what they're doing. Because if you've ever said, I don't know how I'm going to get over this sickness. I mean, he said that he was the healer. So again, I think it'd be to our benefit to not talk contrary to what he said he was. If he said, I'll provide for you, he'll provide for you. If he said, I'll give you peace in a time of trouble, he's going to give you peace. Don't be somebody that's that close to taking his name in vain. All right. Let's look at the next one. It said, uh, 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 chapter, uh, chapter eight, uh, verse eight, he said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I, I think a lot, of, there's really, I think there's really 11 commandments because the next one is a thou shalt also. Look at it. Six days thou shalt labor. I think we, lit, we just skipped over that one, didn't we? And do all thy work. And, and uh, one time I was uh, writing an article called The Secret of the Sixth Day. Because in America, we've been trained that we work five days and we take two days off. That wasn't so under the covenant or the standard of the Lord in the Old Testament. Six days you would work, and then the Sabbath day you would take off, and you would make it holy. What were we making it holy about? We were making it holy as a day of reflection and rest on the goodness of the Lord. Yes. All right? He said, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. Uh, verse 10, he said, thy God in it you'll do no work, neither your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your cattle, nor your stranger within your gates. Six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all them that, that is in it. And he said, he rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. All right? So he tells us, well, you know, we have, it, we have a day also that we're supposed to hallow, and we call it Sunday. It changed in the New Testament. As far as they called it the first day of the week. It was the day that Jesus was risen from the dead. All right. He, he went through the Sabbath. They, tried, they had to get him off that. Three days and three nights in the grave. He was, uh, he was uh, risen on the first day of the week, which was Sunday on the Jewish calendar. So he tells us in there that that, uh, and they said that's when the church began to start meeting was on the first day of the week. All right. And, and so the thing we need to realize is that I think it's uh, interesting that most of the trouble that Jesus got into was the days he went to church. How many times do we read that he was in the temple? How many times do we read he was working when he was in the temple? How many of you have been accused of working in the temple? A lot of you. With the kids and the different parking lot and the different things that we serve the Lord Amen. in the temple, all right? Now, let's go on to the next one. It says, uh, honor thy father and mother, that the days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God has given you. And in Ephesians, they talk about it is the first commandment with a promise that you may live long on the earth. So he tells us how important. Now, the word, the word in there for honor basically is very simple. It means to revere respect. 
All right, revere, respect the, the, the parents, all right? And uh, so the, here's the next one, 13, verse 13, you shall not kill. That is not necessarily going to war. That is the word murder. Right. That, uh, you will not take innocent blood. Then he said, you'll not commit adultery. You will not steal. You will not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Some translations say, you shall not lie. Shall not lie, all right? And then he said, and you will not covet your neighbor's house or anything that is their neighbor, the wife, the manservant, all of his uh, livestock. I think it's interesting, this word in the Hebrew is the same word in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve was standing there looking at the tree. It, it is a word that means to delight in or to desire or to lust after. In the Hebrew, it is the same word when it said, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Is the same word covet here. So she was coveting that tree. She was wanting, she saw, she looked at it. It was, it was something to be desired. And so when we, we see that, now here's what we need to know about this set. This set of standards that God gave, he wrote them, it says, with his finger in two tablets of stone back and front. And what's interesting about that is that four of them, the first four, have to do with your relationship to God. The last six have to do with your relationship with each other. So there's 60% that shows us how we are supposed to conduct ourselves by the standards of God in the earth with each other, while there are the four that he gave us is basically we need, to, we need to understand. Jesus wrapped it up in the 22nd chapter of Matthew when he said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. So everything is wrapped up in those two laws. And so, you know, as, as I, was, I was looking at that and seeing, I wanted to say, Lord, you know, when you introduced us to the kingdom, what are, the, what are some of the standards that we have? I've got four tonight. I got a whole lot more, but I'm going over four tonight because I do not have that two-hour anointing preaching <laughs> gift. <laughs> I have been specifically trained to give you about 50 minutes and I might be able to stretch it to an hour. So you got to hold on, all right? All right, let's take a look at some kingdom standards in the New Testament. And I want you to jot this down. And listen, here's the first one. The word of the kingdom must be approached from a student perspective, not from a passive reader perspective. Some people seem to think that their walk in the kingdom is okay if they just read their Bible occasionally. Now, pastors told us we have a Bible reading program. Uh, you know, Melanie I, and I don't miss a day. Not one day. Amen. We don't get up and get around until we've had our time in the Word, period. It's, it's that much. And I'm going to tell you how we got there, okay? But here's what we need to understand the call. The standard is to be a student, and it's found in Matthew chapter 28. You're going to find out. Jesus set this standard. Now notice what he says. Go you therefore 
and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all, all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world or the age. All right? So Jesus gave a, and we call this what? The Great Commission. And he says in there, go ye therefore and teach. Most translations now, more, more modern translations say, go and make disciples. That is the accurate translation of that word in the original language, methetuo. Methetuo is the word that it comes from, methetes, which is the word disciple. You need to know that. Because why? He said, you need to go into all the world and enroll them as students, not converts, not somebody changing from this religion to that religion or this particular denomination to that denomination. We are designed and he has planned and his standard was discipleship. He proved it through his ministry. He didn't just want to say, you know, if y'all want to follow me, grab a scroll. <laughs> you know, read it every now and then and see what the Lord will do for you. He didn't do that. He enrolled them as students. Now, when you look at verse 20, he said, teaching them to observe all things. That is the actual word, give instruction. So once you have come into the kingdom of God, you have got to come again from the perspective of student, and you've got to come from the perspective that you are now ready to be instructed. Pastor had just taught before he left and got on the boat to the Bermuda Triangle. He taught us, you must remain teachable. There's none of us that know everything. So we have to remain teachable. Why? Because discipleship is lifelong. You'll never get to a place that you just can't learn anymore. The day that you say, I've heard that before, and you write it off, or there's a class offered, and you thought, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that before, you're, you're, you, are, you are walking so close to deception that Jesus even said, he said in the last days, they said, Jesus, show us a sign of your coming. What, when will these things take place? What will be the sign of your coming? When will be the end of the world? And the very first thing Jesus said, he said, take heed that no man deceive you. So deception's number one thing on Jesus' mind. Pastor read it the other day, talking about in, in uh, Paul's writing to Timothy that in the last days, many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It's going to happen. Didn't say that they, you know, he said many. <laughs> we don't want to be the many. All right. So when he tells us that, that is what is so important to us. Now, let me give you a background. I've always had, I've always had an interest in the Bible. Uh, I remember when I was fourth or fifth grade, uh, when you'd graduated to go into sixth grade, they gave you a Bible. I have a copy of that Bible at the house. And uh, it has a little shield on it. And we used to play a game uh, uh, called Bible Sword Drill. <laughs> we really need to bring that back. But the teacher would ask a scripture, and the first one to find it in the Bible, would uh, you'd raise your hand, and you got to read it to the class, and then they'd give you, they'd give you a prize. All right, so you know, you know who won to win all the time. 
And so, you know, when, you know, in growing up in that, well, when I turned, uh, I turned 17, I was going to 18, I graduated from high school, 1979, I had an aunt that was a missionary, she was uh, stationed on the island of Crete, and uh, she came back home and introduced me to a gentleman uh, that had a Bible study in his home. When I showed up, he'd already had this Bible study going in his house, he was a doctor, and he uh, studied and gave, he was the first man that I'd ever heard that had, was, was teaching from, from the Bible without a quarterly. Does anybody know what a quarterly is? I was raised Southern Baptist, and every quarter, they gave you a little study guide that you were supposed to read the night before, and hopefully you had a teacher that read theirs the night before. <laughs> now that is, that is, I, Truly, truly, I'm saying unto you. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we just, if you didn't have a quarterly, you just really didn't have any knowledge of the Bible. I mean, they didn't encourage you to read the Bible and try to figure out what the Lord's trying to tell you. We had a quarterly, and it was, it was done by a convention, and some doctors and theologians, and everybody got together, and they printed all this stuff for us, and every quarter we got our quarterly. Well, this guy was the first guy I'd ever heard that didn't use a quarterly. I'm looking. Where's his quarterly? <laughs> and he started talking about things. He said, you know, the Bible is originally in the New Testament was written in, in, uh, in the Greek language. And he would teach us Greek words that, was, that he would pull out. And man, I, I absolutely fell in love with this man. And I went up to him first night, went up to him. I said, what kind of Bible do you have? Because my Bible don't have any of that in it. I mean, you're talking about these Greek words and Hebrew words, and they brought such a, cl a clarity to what you were talking about. I said, is that real? Is that true? And he showed me his Bible. And you know what? I went and bought one of them Bibles. And we've talked about it for, before. It was called a Dake's Annotated Reference Bible. Still there. As a matter of fact, I had an opportunity not too long ago to talk to Finnis Jennings, uh, Jennings Dake is the guy that, met, that printed this Bible. He did it the year I was born. Wow. 1961, he came out with this work. He spent over 100,000 hours in 43, 43 years compiling this work. It is full of Greek. It is full of Hebrew. I, I devoured that. You ought to see. I still have the original copy. It is in shreds. Pages everywhere. I got pages stuck where pages don't go. <laughs> Trying to hold this thing together. It was one of my, it was one of my prized possessions. I have another one, and I, and I inherited another one, and I had them. And every now and then, I'll go back to them because in, in 40, 43 years, 100,000 hours, if you run your math, I calculated it was six hours a day for 43 years, no vacation, no time off. They said that when he spoke, he could quote whole chapters by memory, books by memory. I mean, I think so. After 100,000 hours, you ought to be able to do something with your memory, right? <laughs> but a phenomenal, phenomenal work. And I, I had an opportunity and, and, uh, to visit with uh, Dr. Harmon, and I asked him a question. I said, uh, I know you, you go from place to place, little ladies groups and, and garden clubs and stuff. They ask you to come and speak and stuff. I said, when you go, who, do, who duplicates your tapes? And he had a one-tape duplicator. Cassette tape. Anybody remember them? Cassette. Okay. 
And, and I said, I will go with you if you allow me to come with you and I'll duplicate the tape so you can keep talking to the people. All right. And the ladies and answering questions and stuff like that. Because I said, who does it? He said, I have to do it. I said, I'm going to do it. And I traveled with him and I went everywhere in town that he went and, and, and duplicated those tapes. When Melanie and I met, okay, I was still going there. That was 1981. When we started dating and we, ended up, we went to Dr. Harmon's every Monday night until Dr. Harmon decided to move to Connecticut. It's kind of like the disciples. Where are you going to go? I mean, you know, you're going to Connecticut. Where's Connecticut? <laughs> well, the way I'm going, you can't go. Okay. Hmm. All right. So I'm thinking, man, Lord, what? But, you know, I began to continue my studies in the Greek language and, and, and as best as I knew how. And uh, I made up my mind that I was going to become a student of the Word of God. Even, I had no desire to go to Bible school. I had no desire to go into the ministry full time. I, I had a skill that I, you know, felt like the Lord was going to have me use. And, uh, and I just, I, but there was that desire to become a disciple. Now you think that's strange, but I think it's strange that we forgot about the story or the account in John chapter one of John and Andrew. In John chapter one, we have a, an account where John the Baptist sees Jesus and two of his disciples were standing right there with him, disciples, called them disciples, methetes, learners, pupils, students. And he said, there goes the Lamb of God. And he said, those two disciples of his went and followed him. And I don't know if they were talking or whatever, but Jesus turned around and looked at him and said, uh, what are you all looking for? And I guess they were shocked because they go, uh, uh, where do you live? <laughs> and he said, come and see. Yeah. And they hung out with Jesus the whole day. Well, the thing was, he identified those two. John, when he, he identified one was Andrew, Peter's brother, and the other one had to be in him because he never identified himself. So he said the other disciple. He always called himself the other disciple until he got to the end and he said the disciple Jesus loved. <laughs> he wrote that about himself, right? He did. So the thing, the question that I had was, wait a second. You two boys was in business. When did you have time to follow the prophet around to be able to learn the things concerning the kingdom? Because what did John the Baptist preach? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is now within your reach. So these guys are following him. Well, you know how they did it. it tells us they were on the night shift. Isn't that what Peter said? Lord, we fished all night. Yep. So those guys were on the night shift. So during the day, they had the opportunity to follow John around, listen to his teaching and involve. Really, I think probably they got together with John about uh, 4.30 in the afternoon on Sunday till about 8.45. What do you think of that? Does that sound familiar? There's a big group going through that kind of discipleship right now on Sunday evenings. Intense teaching. But yet, they found 
the, they found that they wanted to be disciples even though they had a career. I was going to be the same thing. I said, you know, I'm not going to be moved by everybody wanting to send me to seminary and Bible college and everything else. I said, I'm going to do what I feel like the Lord wants me to do, but I am not going to neglect the discipleship factor in my life. It is a standard in the kingdom of God. And if you're doing anything less, I, I hate to tell you, you're missing it. Okay? Let me give you another illustration of what Jesus said. John 8, 31 through 32. Listen to this. Jesus said to those Jews that believed on him, okay, that was a good day in Jesus' ministry. He finally had somebody believing. Didn't want to, you know, take him, push him off a cliff or stone him to death. That was a good day. He said to those Jews that believed on him, he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. He said, you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, when he said in there, the word, the word continue in the Greek is the word meno, and the word meno mainly, it, it basically paints the picture of dwelling somewhere, sitting down, staying. He said, if you continue, now notice what he said, in my word, then are you a disciple. That makes sense because what is a disciple? Again, it's a student. A student of what? Of the words that Jesus spoke. And then he says in there, and you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I've said this for years. It's not the truth that sets you free. It's the truth you know that sets you free. The only way you can get to know the truth is spend time in it. All right? You know, if you're confused like Pilate was, he said, what is truth? Well, Jesus told us, John 17, 17. All right, John 17, 17 says this, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's an absolute. It's not situational. All right? He tells us in there, Matthew 10, 25, I think it's interesting because one of the things that Jesus tells, he said this, he said, it is enough that the disciple be as his master and that the servant be as his Lord. So we haven't done enough if we are not like Jesus. We, are not, we have not done enough if those that the Lord has placed over our lives, that we have done everything we can to serve them and take care of them. It says it is enough when you've accomplished that. Some of us are still in the process and will always be in the process of doing what? Being like our masters, being like, you know, the, the, to teach the kingdom of God. When we came down here, I, I, the Lord told me in 2007 uh, during a uh, uh, Black Friday, never forget it. And I was sitting before the Lord and I usually spent time during that time because everybody's out shopping or they're sleeping because they was out all night shopping. <laughs> and I just get with the Lord and I say, hey, man, I got a month left, 30 days. I said, what have I missed? What can you help me with? Where do I need to be by the time we wrap this year end up? And the Lord spoke to me and he told me two things. He said, number one, he said, you're not kingdom minded enough. What does that mean? And, and I'm sitting there waiting, you know, hoping I'm going to get something else. And I didn't get nothing else except he said, and I'm going to increase your teaching ministry. No sooner did he say that, the next few weeks, all the areas that I was teaching, they dismantled those classes. I said, 
what am I, was I listening? Was I paying attention? But the thing was, he had me, he had me on a path. And as a disciple, you got to stay on the path. And I come down here in 2009 and I'm still trying to figure out this kingdom thing. I started studying the kingdom. I looked up every scripture on the kingdom. Pastor David Emi taught, told me, I'm going to give you two Wednesday nights. You're going to teach on the kingdom. And I had no idea what I was talking about. It was, it was amazing how, and, and, and that's, that's the interesting part of the, of the word revelation. In the Greek, it is the word apocalypto, okay? And it means an unveiling or pulling back a curtain. Can't see if the curtain's closed. And here I am doing all this study, trying to get it the best I can. And it wasn't until I got down here, May of 2009, we got here Tuesday at about, what, three in the morning. And I'm supposed to go with Pastor Earl and Marcy to a con conference in North South Carolina, one of them Carolinans. <laughs> and by the time we got here, I was so exhausted. He looked at me and said, you're not going nowhere. He said, you need to recover. I said, man, if it wasn't for them dogs that we had to bring down, man, we'd have been down here sooner, I promise. I said, we had two dogs and a cat, and, and good Lord. We get here, and I didn't get to go. That weekend, that end of the week, that's when Pastor heard the message of the kingdom for the first time. And I missed it. It was... I couldn't believe it. And to see where we are, because he taught us for a month, you know, on the unseen principle. And then he unloads one Sunday morning, June the 7th, 2009, the message of the kingdom. And I, I am not kidding. I mean, it was life changing. The light came on, ripped the curtain in half. Seems to be a habit with the Lord. Ripping them curtains in half, right? And man, I, we haven't been the same since. Melanie looked over at me after that, and she goes, I have waited my whole life to hear this message. Do me a favor, brother and sister. Don't take that message for granted. You know, pastor is teaching on the kingdom. Do not. Thou shalt not. Take that message for granted. You ought to be, every time he talks about it, it ought to resonate in you and continue to build and to grow in you that it is just, it, it comes out of you so freely because it is what is missing in the earth today. Now, let me give you a couple other scriptures. We're going to have to move on, all right? Okay. It said Acts 17, 11. This, this particular passage, listen to it. It said, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of nine and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. A disciple will search the scriptures daily. How many times has pastor said it? I have said it. I said this before pastor, I haven't met pastor. I said, you do not have to listen to a word I say. And I encourage you, don't. If you hear something that strikes a chord, go search it out. Prove it to yourself. The word in their search in the original language is anacrino. Anacrino in its, in its 
simplest, it means to scrutinize, to investigate, to interrogate, to ask, to question, to examine, to discern. The picture is a, of an attorney cross-examining. So, you know, when an attorney has you give your testimony, then there's going to be another attorney to make sure your story's the same. You want to make sure your story's the same. When you're talking about the Word of God, you want your story, you want your accuracy the same as the Bible. That's what I'm teaching Titus and the grandkids right now. Know what you're talking about when it comes to the Bible. All right. Now, here's the sad part of, of my education. I felt like I was at a lull uh, biblically and the studying that I was doing. And I just knew that there was more to being able to understand the original languages of the Bible. And in 1988, I met somebody else. His name is Rick Renner. Pastor quotes him often. I absolutely fell in love with Rick. I'm sitting there thinking, oh. When he began to break down the Greek and the, and the different things there, and I thought, I found him. And he, and he, he was, was kind of funny because he, the first thing he did when he got up on stage, his first time we met, he goes, look at here. And he pulled up both pant legs and he had two different colors of socks on. <laughs> oh, he's my kind of guy. <laughs> Seriously. And so, I, so you know, and, and guess what I did after he got done? I did the same thing to him that I did to Dr. Harmon. Can I see your Bible? <laughs> and I, he goes, yeah. He goes, you can see it. It's over there on the front row. And I op sat down, and I opened that Bible, and it was like, ah. <laughs> And I looked inside his Bible, and it was written down all the Greek that you could bathe in. <laughs> and, and, I said, and, and I looked at it, and I said, oh. This is a wide margin Bible. He's written all this stuff. I went and got me a wide margin Bible. <laughs> Remember that scripture. It is enough that a disciple be as his master. And I began to write little. I can write real small. And you give me a sharp pencil. Ooh, I can write real little. And I started taking Greek notes and, and Hebrew notes. And I started going there. Pastor David Emi was well-versed in, in a lot of that type of teaching. And I was just writing. And, did, and then I had an opportunity to go to Africa. And uh, I was 17 days in Africa. And the Lord told me, he said, he said you might want to make some copies of some of them pages that you prize so much. Because you're going to leave that Bible in Africa. What? Man, I found me a copier. All right. I was going to make copies of these notes. Right. And I did. I left it in Africa. I was getting ready to get on the plane the fourth day. And we were there 17 days and I was getting ready to get on the plane. And the Lord says, that's the guy. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I got like 13 days left. I didn't bring a spare. I, I had pictured in my mind, I'm going to get on the plane, leaving, coming back to home. And I'm going to leave it with some brother, you know, and, and, the Lord said, he's the guy. And I looked at him and he was carrying a Gideon pocket Bible, New Testament. And I said, is that what you preach from when you have your congregation? Is that, he said, that's all I have. Huh. Not anymore. And as a matter of fact, I came back from that trip and bought every one of those pastors a Greek Hebrew study Bible. Now the, the freight alone was more expensive than the books because they were all hardback and heavy. 
But I wanted them to have it because they, they love that teaching. Getting back to the original language, the Holy Spirit, you know, made sure that he had recorded for us to understand. See, the, what I learned from Rick, and this was interesting because I began to follow Rick and, and get his teaching tapes, and he had a tape table like everybody else. I bought everything. I own every book he has. I have them all in hardback. I have a complete shrine set up <laughs> with Rick Renner stuff on it. All right. And he did a series on tape and I couldn't go. And there again, I'm disappointed. Right. And he did it. Understanding the Greek New Testament. And he did a seminar at a hotel for two nights and I didn't get to go. But thank you, Jesus. I got the VHSs. (laughs) And I've been through those VHSs. I went through a minimum, minimum, all four, eight hours, 10 times. Minimum. And I began, and I, and I had the opportunity to begin to teach the same thing he was teaching in, in our school in Oklahoma called School of Life. Now, the thing was, though, I get to about the third week of class, and they start talking ugly about me because it's not easy, you know, to get that. But this is just the simple stuff. It was recognizing words and how that. But one of the things that Rick said about the Greek New Testament, he said it is the most picturesque language man has ever been involved with. And that we translate one word, but there's a whole picture that it paints, and you can't do it in just one word. Let me give you an example real quick. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, I don't have it in my notes. 11 and 12, it says, and he gave some, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what it says. The word equipping in there, all right, and, 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 and you have to understand that some of these words came not from deity, but came from the culture. The word in the Greek is the word katartismos, and the word katartismos means the setting of a bone. It is a medical term. So when he gave the fivefold ministry, what was their job? Number one is to put us in the body in the right place. Then he's going to let us know that if you're a bicep, you get to work. (laughs) If your legs, you got to walk around. Just don't sit on your blessed assurance all the time. (laughs) But see, you don't get that from the word equipping. What do you think equipping? You know, get a backpack or, you know, get your tools ready for the job site. No, he said the setting of a bone. He's going to place you. He has given that fivefold ministry to be able to get you in the place you need to be so that the body can function without pain. All right. So when we take a look at the last scripture I have for this section uh, and this particular standard, remember, it's, it's the study of the word of God. It's not just the reading of it, the passive reading of the Word of God. But you've got to be a reader. If you don't read it, you're not going to want to study it. All right? But what does 2 Timothy 2.15 tell us? Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. That word study, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad they translated it like that, but the word study is the word spude in the Greek, and what it means is to be quick, and, and, and fast and businesslike, taking whatever you're doing extremely serious, but being quick about it. 
And, and then it goes on and it says, do what? Be quick about making yourself approved unto God. See, you don't have, and, and, and KI students, listen, you're not trying to impress us as instructors. You're trying to impress the Lord. You want him, you want his stamp of approval on your life. And I love that. I was I visiting right before pastor left. I said, I, I learned something. Uh, the Greek word dokimos is the word approved. And it was basically a banking term. And it is how they rated coins back then. And a dokimos was somebody that was of the highest level of integrity when it came to their coinage. They didn't have clipped edges that they would try to clip the edges so nobody'd notice and they'd hang on and they'd gather that up and they would have more money, but they would give them a coin for a specific amount. A dokimos was a person that was noted for their honesty and for the trueness of their trade. That is what he says in there. We need to be approved unto God as what? The real deal. Now, notice what he said, a workman that need not be ashamed. And I, one day I asked the Lord, I said, well, how is a workman ashamed? And he began, to, he began to give me an illustration. The illustration was, he said, you can take it in any trade. Let's say air conditioning or electricians. Uh, you know, uh, if you're an electrician, you probably got a, a pair of wire cutters, a, a screwdriver, and a, and a, and a, a spool of wire. And you got to trade, and they're supposed to train you, and you're supposed to do it. But then if they let you out solo to do something, and you mess it all up, you're going to be ashamed. Well, you know, we have Christians, and they have a pencil in their pocket, and a Bible in one hand, a notebook in another hand. And somebody comes up and asks them, well, how come you believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Uh, uh, well, because my church does. And you cannot show them in Scripture why you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence and speaking in tongues. You need to be ashamed. And any other question that someone has about why you believe what you believe, if you cannot tell them in Scripture, you need to be, a, you, you, you need to be ashamed of yourself. But then he says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why does that, why is that, what does that mean and why is that important? Because it can be, and pastor said this, has taught us this before, that it can be wrongly. It's implied. It can be wrongly divided. You know? I mean, there's, and here's how you know. Jot this down. If you're taking notes, I, I teach this all the time. All right? Everything, I learned this years ago when I first got tapped into the word of faith. Okay? One of the, the guys that I followed as far as out of California, he taught camp meeting for years, and he said this, never, never forgot it, and this is what he said, everything in the Bible is truly stated, but not everything in the Bible is a statement of truth. And I said, he's a heretic, <laughs> and then he explained it. He said, everything in the Bible is truly stated. In other words, it was completely recorded the way it happened. But not everything in the Bible is a statement of truth. What does that mean? That means that the Bible was recorded exactly what happened. And some of the people that said stuff in the Bible were not inspired by God to say it. In order, you've got to be able to rightly divide. And, and one of the greatest illustrations is the, the 12 spies that went into the promised land. And when they came out, they gave a report. 
I can promise you they were not inspired by God to give that report. But it was recorded exactly the way they said it. And it said the people cried all night. It said God called it evil. Why was it evil? Because it was contrary to his report. His report said, go search out the land which I give. I've already given it to you. You can go check it out. And they came back and said, we're not able to do it, man. There are giants there. Only two guys made it. My sons. Why do you think I named them? Joshua and Caleb. You think that was by chance? It just sounded good? No. If names mean anything, and they mean a lot, I'm giving them a head start. So you think about it, those two guys made it. Why? Because they immediately said, we are well able to go up and possess this land. Let us go up at once and possess it, for they are bread for us. And everybody said, no, majority rules. And, and you know what? I just, I love them two guys. And my sons too. Because they had to take the punishment and lived through the punishment of 40 years. And they were both in their 40s when this whole deal started because Caleb came up to Joshua and said, I'm 85. And I'm as strong as the day that we went and searched out the land. So God was able to preserve them. But they still had to put up with all that murmuring and complaining and continuing on. You know, I mean, if if a triune would have had the vote, God told him, he said, step out of the way. I'm going to smote them. <laughs> and I'm going to start over. And he said, no, I can't do it, Lord. You know, every time they messed up, you, you look, and Moses is on his face. Yeah. Always on his face. Interceding for them. Yeah. Always. All right? So when we, we, talk about, we talk about the study, we have, got to, we have got to take that perspective. Brothers, sisters, we've got to become more than casual readers. We have got to make up our mind. I don't care what your occupation is. I don't care that you're never going to be in the ministry. The only thing that matters, what did Jesus say? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will abide. It will be here forever. It'd be a good idea to get to know it. You believe that? All right, here we go. 835. Woo! All right, standard number two. I got four standards here, and we're not going to make it. And I still don't feel that anointing, so (laughs) listen to this. Here's the second standard for the kingdom of God. Faith is the only currency that is accepted when needing to bring something from the unseen realm to the seen realm. Your need will not bring it. You crying, you worrying, you being distraught, getting argumentative, being touchy, being fretful, will not bring what you need. God's not moved by none of that. In fact, he's kind of probably surprised you're all up in that. (laughs) But let me give you the Greek word. That's all right. The Greek word for faith is very well known. There's no misunderstanding. It is the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. 
And here's a definition. It is a firm persuasion or a conviction. And if you dig really, really deep into that, you'll find out that it basically deals with the subject of hearing. So basically, you can say that faith is, 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 is related to the fact of something that you hear. And something that you hear that you are firmly convinced and firmly persuaded. Another definition I love is this, complete and total trust in God and his word. Complete and total. Not hope so. Not I really wish this would happen. You have got to understand that when God deals in faith, it is going to be based upon the fact that he never lies. Right? Mark eleven twenty four. Put it up. Well, tw- let's start in 22. You know, you know the account. <clears throat> the account is Jesus is uh, headed to a town, and he's hungry. And he sees a fig tree far off, has leaves on it. And he's thinking, I, I wonder if there's figs on that, and walks up to it. And I've often said, if I was a fig tree and I saw my creator headed my direction, I'd be popping figs. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly. In fact, anybody ever seen The Wizard of Oz? The movie? And then trees take them apples and start throwing them at them? I'd have been throwing them figs. Jesus comes up to the tree, very curious word. He answered the tree and said, all right, it's not, in, not on the board yet. All right, he said, answered the tree and said, no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And he said, and the disciples heard it. So Jesus cursed this fig tree for not taking care of his needs. And I thought it was interesting he answered it. So it must have said something other than I ain't none here. Because the, the response that Jesus gave that tree was total annihilation. Next day they come through, they notice the tree had been withered at the root. Verse 22, all right, well, 21, Peter says, Master, look at the tree you cursed. He said, it's withered away from the root. Verse 22, then Jesus said, have faith in God. All right, well, better translation. And, I, and I've, I've confirmed this. It's true. Because the word God is, is a possessive, is in its possessive form. And it means he owns it. And it says, have the faith of God. So we need to understand God must have some faith. And it would be to our benefit again if um, we were able to find out what that faith is and begin to live in it. And he tells us what it is in the next verse. Verse 23, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he will have whatsoever he says. And then in verse 24, he says, Verse that I love, and I teach, and I used it to defeat cancer in my life when the hospital introduced me to the end-of-life counselor and later admitted they knew that I was going to die. And I used this verse 
to get that cancer out? Because Jesus said this, he said, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. But notice the next phrase, pay attention to the next phrase. Because he said, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that the things he says shall come to pass, he'll have what he says. It didn't say, you know, uh, believe in your heart that whatever God wants to do, he said, use your mouth like God used his mouth to create all of eternity. So he said, you've got to believe what you say. You know what the problem is, a lot of believers. They don't really believe what they say because they sometimes don't say the truth. I mean, how are you going to convince yourself when you're lying all the time? Or you're telling things that are false? Or you're talking about other people, things that are false? Yeah, it's going to be difficult for you to engage in this verse because it says you must believe the things that you say come to pass. Now notice what he said. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I've never taught this verse without asking this question. Let me read it again. Or I'll quote it. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Here's the question. According to that verse, what did Jesus say you would have? Every time I ask that question, somebody answers, what you desire. Well, it looks like it. What things soever you desire, yeah. He said, when you pray, when you, whatever you pray for. He said, whatever you believe for. Anybody, can you get that out of there? Let me give you what I have quoted for years, and it makes a difference between life and death. He says in there, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. The only thing Jesus said in that verse that you will have is what you believed you received at the time of asking. A lot of people don't like that, but it's the truth. It has saved my life. Because I didn't, here's the thing I let pastor know. You can have all the prayer, prayer lines that you want to have, but I'm not coming. I told him that. I said, I'm not coming. And the only time that I ever came to a prayer line was he called me down and had a word for me. And it was the next word I needed. Every time. Every time. But I wasn't coming down. Why? Because I'd already made up my mind I was healed, even though the doctors tell me, you're dying. You look like you're dying. <laughs> you smell like you're dying. <laughs> Everything about you says you're dying. <clears throat> and when I got introduced to the end of life counselor, and Melanie's pushing me down the hallway in a wheelchair and a body brace because the cancer had eaten up my spine and everything else, she's bawling, she's crying. I can't see her. I can't turn around and look at her in the eye. I said, what are you crying about? And she said, that was the worst report that we had since we've been here. I'd been there, I'd been in the hospital since August, and this was October. I, and, and I just finished chemo. Four rounds of it, back to back. And she said, that was the worst report. And I said, yeah, I know. That was bad. But I said, but it, this is how this is going to turn out. Yeah. Psalms 117, verse 18 says, you will not die, you will live, and you will show the glory of God. I said, honey, we keep coming back to every appointment until their report lines up with my report. End of it. They asked me, did you ever doubt? No, I did not doubt. Why? Because James tells us in the first chapter, he said, if you doubt, 
you get to start over. Man, I've been in this too long, hurting too bad to be starting over. It's the truth. I'm there, I, you know, I said, no, I ain't starting over. I said, my report is what I'm going on. And, 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 and it was, it was, it was, it, there was a lot of pain. But I tell you what, I asked Melanie the other day, I said, we didn't miss church. I was in that back, right back there in the very back. I had my wheelchair tucked in there. And they said, well, couldn't you walk? Yeah, I could walk, but not real fast. And when you got to go to the bathroom, somebody decided to have a facility that had a bathroom a mile down the hall. I wrote an article about it one time called, It All Depends. I did. Because I was dependent. Because it just, man, I, I go to Starbucks, the bell has rung. I get, I get to Starbucks, I, I hit the handle, it's locked. What yourself? Just what happens? Your mind just give up, you know? But what is it? Don't doubt. Jesus tells us right here, the only currency is the medium of exchange to get the unseen to come into the scene is faith. Total trust in God's word. No doubt. You can't doubt, all right? So he, he tells us in there that the things that we desire when we pray, we've got to believe we receive them at the time of asking. That's why I wasn't coming down to another prayer line because what was I telling the Lord? I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Well, I'll tell you what, I got it. And I ain't letting go. I am not letting go. And the fact that I'm, and you know what? That was 2010. And that year, I was declared cancer-free. They said, we don't understand it. We can't explain it. He said, but there's not, an, there's not any cancer in your body. And, I, and, and he said, chemotherapy doesn't do that. I said, I wish I'd have known that before the chemotherapy. Wish you ought have done a few more tests. God's faithful. God's faithful, but faith's a standard. Faith is a standard. It does not change. His word does not change. How much time we got left? Ooh. All right, I'm going to give you one more. <clears throat> Number three. Oh, Lord. Hmm. <laughs> All right, here we go. Rapid fire. This is a, this is a rapid round right here. Okay. Uh, Jesus himself gave us the standard for prayer. You know, you have to ask your question. Jesus, many times is recorded. In the morning, he'd get up early to go pray. You'd find him praying all night. Question is, what was he praying about? I mean, Lord, we don't have rent money. You know, my donkey threw a shoe. I know who Jesus was praying for. He's praying for us. And he's still praying for us, ever liveth, to make intercession for us. Here's the standard, Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. And we're going to wrap it up with it, and I'm just going to have to beg Pastor let me keep going some other time. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, it's very commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Everybody familiar with it? Okay. One of the things that I need to let you know, the scholars agree that the Lord's Prayer was not a prayer for us to memorize and say we've prayed. 
It is a rabbinical outline. So that means that God gave a skeleton that we need to flesh out. And Jesus taught that way. Many times the disciples said, man, we didn't have a clue what you were talking about. When he gave a parable, he said, can you expound that? He'd always expound it. He didn't want them in the dark. He wanted them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God from the gospel. All right? But this one here, he says, after this manner, and we're going to break this down as fast as I can. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All right? When we talk about hallowed be thy name, remember we went back and we talked about a couple of those. The outline is this. We just don't walk around saying, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be thy name. When you spend time with the Lord, you want to remind him of his names. Father, I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. I thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha. I thank you that you are Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. All through the Old Testament, if you look up the word standard in the Old Testament, it's always about a flag. He told them, you will make a flag for each one of your tribes and post it by your area so that you'll know where you're going, firstly, I'm sure. But it was a banner to let them know who they belong to. Anybody seen the statue of Iwo Jima? It's got the soldiers raising up the American flag. Everywhere the flag is, is territory owned by the United States. That's why they fly the flag over embassies or the ambassador has control of that flag. It's to let them know that country owns it. It's the same thing. The standard that we have, the Lord owns us. Okay? We, let, we are owned by him. So we spend a few minutes in our prayer life with him on the holiness of his name. All right? The next one, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A couple of areas you want to spend time talking to the Lord about the kingdom coming. Number one is you. You want to spend time letting the Lord know you are totally submitted to him. You want to check yourself every day to the submission of the Lordship of Christ. Luke 6, 46, Jesus asked the disciples a question. He's still asking it today. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Whoa. And he said, said, you have no right to call me Lord if you're not going to do what I tell you to do. Because Lord is the word kurios in the Greek, and it means owner. He's owner by the right of creation. But once you confess Jesus as Lord as the only way of getting in the kingdom, it's not going down front like I did when I was a little kid and I was 10 years old and I went down front and they said, pray this prayer with me. You know, ask God to forgive you of your sins. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and you'll be saved. Guess what I found out? None of that's in the Bible. I hate to shock you. But there's no place in scripture where it says, come down and confess all your sins. Some people would be still doing it. And who could remember them all? And then what does he say? He goes on to tell you, he says, and and he said, and then they said, they they said, well, uh, you know, ask Jesus to come in your heart. There is no place that you ask Jesus to come in your heart. It is not in the Bible. There's one thing that you're supposed to say with your mouth, and that is you are are my Lord. Period. That's the only way into the kingdom. The only way. 
So when we see that, we want to pray over ourselves. You want to spend time asking the kingdom come and will be done in your family, in our church. How about our pastors? How about our city, state, and nation? The world. All of our missionaries. Do we not want the, 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 the kingdom of God to be produced in their lives? Absolutely we do. That is the time during that part of your prayer to do that. Third thing, give us this day our daily bread. Two, two types. One's your spiritual bread. Father, what word am I going to need today to get me through whatever's going to be coming? Jesus said it, John 16, 33. He tells you right there, he said, you know, you're going to have tribulation. Tribulation's coming. But he said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. But what scriptures are you going to need? I heard somebody say one time, he said, we're like coffee mugs. And when somebody bumps your mug, you'll find out what's inside. Because it's coming all out, all over you. He said, we need to make sure what's on the inside when trouble hits is the word of God. You want to be a person of great faith? The Bible tells us how to do it. Speak the word only. That's how you become a person of great faith. When trouble hits or something goes on or something, you get a bad report. What is the first thing out of your mouth? I hope it's not, oh God, what are we going to do? You better find the word. Get the word on it. All right. Give us a day. Spiritual bread. Then natural bread. Father, I thank you that you've met every need that we have. Every bill is paid in full. We owe no man anything but to love him. You got you to speak like that. All right. The next one, he says, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here's the thing. Always examine yourself, especially after a confrontation. Are you going to rehearse everything they said? Over and over and over until it sows a little seed of bitterness? Can't afford that. That'll give you cancer. I know from experience. But he tells us in there, he said, always examine yourself. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. 31. I don't have it up on the board, but it, it said, judge yourself that you be not judged. You need to take a look at you. You need to make sure you're straight. You need to make sure you got the log out of your eye. All right. I had, a, I had at one time I taught a, a lesson on check your eyes for railroad ties. Before you want to clean somebody else up, make sure you're clean. Okay? And then I put in there, you need to live in a spirit of forgiveness. That is just continual. Jesus did it. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. My gosh. People. All right? Matthew uh, uh, verse 6 and, and, and verse 13 say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right? Jesus told the disciples the night that he was betrayed in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. He said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. So it's apparent to me temptation's coming. But the way we keep from entering into that temptation is by watching and praying. Does that make sense? So we always need to be, we need to be watching. We need to be praying. We need to be listening. All right. And I think it's interesting that when he said that, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the Greek bears out the evil one. But Psalms 91, every morning I can hear Melanie. She has memorized the whole thing. And then I'll, get, I'll pick up wherever I wake up and listen. All right? She, she quotes the whole thing over our family, over everybody in this church. She prays over them all. 
And nobody's going to be tripping and falling and hurting themselves. And we're not having any accidents. We're not. She prays Psalms 91. I, I believe that is a part of our prayer. God loves to hear you remind him of his word. That's why Jesus said, you're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. And when we come to Father, the Lord, he says, you worship me, worship me in spirit, which for us now is the ability to pray in that unknown tongue. But he said, and truth. What did he say truth was? His word. So we need to be bringing our, his word to him. And then uh, to wrap it up, Isaiah 54, 17, in the arena of protection is no weapon formed against us will prosper. He said, every tongue that is, shall rise against you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage, a better translation is, this is an inheritance. Everybody loves an inheritance. And he said, this is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. It's an inheritance. So hopefully we have discovered tonight, and Marcus, you can go ahead and come, that we've discovered tonight a little bit of uh, what God expects out of us as kingdom citizens. That he has the standards, they're written, and we shouldn't have any problem whatsoever adhering to him because God would never require anything out of us that we couldn't do. But he's letting us know, hey, listen, I need you to become a, a disciple. I need you to become a student. He said, I need you to be, you know, a person that is, walks in faith. You believe what I said and you're going to show the world that God will move on your behalf by your faith. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, you said it abides forever and we will be abiding with it. For you said we'll know the truth, the truth will make us free. And Father God, we want to be people of the truth. We want to be kingdom citizens encouraging people to come to our country. We want to praise you for that. You know, this, this evening, uh, you may, and I was, I was going to, you know, give the normal, you know, invitation. You know, and I think it's interesting, we call it an invitation where we ask people, hey, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. But did you know Jesus did not make an invitation? In fact, God says that he once winked at the sin of man, but now he gives everyone a commandment. It's not an invitation. It's a commandment. Make me Lord. Make him Lord. If you've never done that, I encourage you, come down the front. We've got people that, that want to minister to you. But the question that I've got for you is that you may need to re-up your commitment in the arena of discipleship. You might need to re-up your commitment in your prayer life, in your faith talk. You may have been running your mouth lately on things that are non-profitable to you, your family, you know, people that, uh, you know, that you, you know, running your mouth to people that they don't understand, you know, why you're, you, you say you're all this and Jesus and you have a great church and all this stuff, but yet you, you talk like somebody defeated. Change that tonight. Repent. Change your thinking and change your actions. Can you do that? I encourage you to do that.
Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com.